podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Looking for a new career? Welcome to Do HVAC Training Service Center in North Charleston. Enroll today in our comprehensive HVAC training hands-on field experience-based program covering troubleshooting, maintenance, installation, and more on various HVAC systems and ductwork. We offer EPA and NAIT preparation and testing along with various certifications. Enjoy payment options. Take advantage of their November specials. Achieve certification in under five months. Enroll now for your new journey of skill development and career advancement. Log on to DEWH HVACTrainingSC.com to inquire. Massive thank you to NordVPN for sponsoring this episode of Lakeside Drive. Camper, you recently went interstate, and of course, when you go towards Queensland, you need to make sure you're fully protected, especially when you're from Victoria. Absolutely. What a crazy world it is up there. Very different. <laughs> Love um, the smell of freedom up there, unlike <laughs> here in Victoria. So. Not where I thought that was going. Uh, what a surprise. If you want to smell the freedom um, of making sure you're protected online, please do so uh, with NordVPN because you can go to nordvpn.com forward slash lakeside drive right now for a very special deal just for you. And of course, it's 30 day money back guarantee if you don't enjoy it. Go to nordvpn.com forward slash lakeside drive right now to get yourself protected online. G'day, I'm James. Welcome to the Australian Opinion on Formula One here at the Lakeside Drive F1 podcast. In this episode, we preview the very, very lengthy name otherwise known as Imola. And I'm joined by my friend and yours. It's the OG Oz F1 Lakeside Drive duo, Thomas J. Camp. G'day, mate. Hello, mate. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you so much Can for you, being uh, here. you actually pronounce the full title of this weekend? I think from memory, it's like the Qatar Airways Formula One del Premio made in Italy, Emilia Romagna Grand Prix, <laughs> otherwise known as Imola. I don't understand why they fight so hard for this. Not like Imola, everyone just knows it. Very good, my man. Very good. I'm impressed. It's probably an incorrect somewhere in there, but uh, I've just written Imola. <laughs> Preview oh, everywhere. Imola, Imola. Um, but it is good to be going back there. Welcome back to the podcast to you. It feels Thank like you, we've mate. been away for a couple of weeks. We lined up a whole bunch of stuff and, and life is just busy. But um, Not planned. We've got... The Hilux, the front wheel drive Hilux oh, broke yes, down. I forgot. Which is a shame. <laughs> um, 20,000 was... Ks, new battery. Can't believe it. That is, anyway. That was... Um, yeah, very full on. Let's talk very briefly about Miami because it, you love the United States. That is absolutely correct. Um, there's three Grands Prix this year there. Uh, we wanted to get your thoughts, of course, um, until your front-wheel drive highlights broke down. But uh, what did you think of the weekend overall? Uh, I didn't watch a heap of the practice sessions um, just because oh, – just the time. I was doing stuff. I think I was working. But um, overall, I think the feeling of the Grand Prix was very good. I think they – cleaned up a lot of the garbage from what they did last year. I mean, we were making heaps of jokes about Miami last year. Um, I didn't love the intro where they called the drivers out and did that <laughs> stuff. Um, don't particularly love celebrity culture anyway, but I think on track, last year we thought, Miami, this is a great concept, it's really good, and it wasn't a very good race. I think this year the racing was a hell of a lot better. I think for the first time in a long time, we got the DRS spot on perfect, made for good racing. It wasn't just overpowered, but it wasn't underpowered either, so it was, wasn't a, a procession. But, um, yeah, no, I enjoyed it. It was a good race. It's good to see Max come through from ninth and get his job done. 
think all in all, big tick. I'd listen to Fry's uh, chat with you guys as well, and she was on the ground, and she just said, you know, great. They've they've got the event right, uh, rather than the off the on track stuff. The event's right, so um, I can't speak to that, but that's great. It felt a bit more organised and a bit better this year and less chaotic. So. Certainly, Hopefully they get that right for Vegas too. Yeah, certainly a lot then to take away for Vegas, as I was going to say, yeah. to the point where I know that the chief operations officer and a whole bunch of people from the Vegas Grand Prix were at Miami to good, try and good. figure out what to do, how to do it, and all the procedures, procedural stuff. So let's hope it's good. I would say, though, it's been interesting listening to a couple of other podcasts and talking to a couple of other people about Miami, and so many people said, oh, it was such a boring race, but... I didn't really find it was a boring race, did you? No, it wasn't the greatest race we've ever seen by any stretch of the imagination, but it was a good race. There was always something happening. The thing I like about, I mean, we can speak a lot about these ground effect cars in the second year and the some of the races that we have seen this year. And after Baku, I thought, geez, we're in for a long three, right, like a couple of races. We've got Miami coming up, which was a dud last year. Then we got... Uh, we got Monaco as well. So the next two out of the next three potentially could just be absolute processions. It's not great for the sport. But um, no, I thought the race was good. Yeah. Look, mate, seeing Max come through early, I mean, Checo should have his tyre strategy. I don't know why he didn't start on the hards. I said, oh, he had to start on the hards because he wouldn't get off the line. Um, you know, there's always stories. I, I really like the story of the team principals at the moment, Sam. Mm. I mean, you're hearing Toto Wolf, Wolf say stuff that I just would never expect to come out of his mouth, seeing the way he's been portrayed on, uh, you know, on Drive to Survive and things like that over the last few years. Um, uh, Ferrari as well. I mean, Charles Leclerc, some of the comments he's made about the, the car and the direction that he wants and, and I, re- it's interesting. I don't. I think Red. I think Red Bull have so much more pace in that car than what they're putting out. But they don't want to do what Mercedes did in say fourteen, fifteen, where the car was so dominant and they were winning by thirty five, forty five seconds, and cruising home. I don't think Red Bull wants to do that because they saw how the FIA and F one changed rules mm. in order to limit limit what they were doing. So I think Red Bull are just sandbagging where they can, just get out front, control the race, get out of any sort of safety car or or um or what do you call it? What's the chase? VSC. VSC. You know, get out of all those things. Once they're there, just control it and hold it. Don't yeah. push on anymore. So Ooh, that is a very tinfoil beanie thing to say, no, Campion. I, just, I like it. I just think there's some politics going on behind closed doors in the sport at the moment. Mm. And I'd say, you know, I mean, we don't, we're not privy to those conversations, so we Mm. don't know, but it's playing out in media, particularly with Toto Wolf and Christian Horner saying Mm. things they're saying. So I've liked that. That's been an intriguing story for me. It's interesting. I think that relationship is is a really good one to focus in on and not just because of Drive to Survive and, you know, the comment about fixing one's car. <laughs> I think more broadly what we're finding is a lot of similarities now between these two team principles in terms of relevant experience. One of the questions that was asked of Toto Wolf before the Grand Prix in Miami was how did you deal with the intra-team rivalry, or inter-team rivalry rather, um, between two drivers going for the same championship in the way yeah. that, you know, Christian's now 
potentially maybe not as as much as what it was for Toto Wolf, but dealing with the same want at least for Sergio Perez to, to put it to Max Verstappen. But also, let's not forget, he's already had experience before the whole 2016 saga with Mark Webber and Seb Vettel yep. and Danny Rick and, and others. So it was interesting that kind of way. But one of the things that he did say, Toto had his whole piece, Tom Clarkson then asked, um, you know, did, did anything that you would add to that? Uh, Christian Christian said, oh, you know, everything that Toto said, of course, we'd just manage it better. And we did. <laughs> Cheeky dude. He's such a cheek. Uh, I am starting to enjoy it a little bit more, though. Um, but it is it is interesting. Uh, what, let's talk about temperance principles, actually, because there is this whole thing now in the media about the French. And the CEO of Renault yep. uh, is not happy with the direction of the Formula One team and they should be getting a lot higher results apparently. Um, and he has put all of the blame squarely on Otmar Safnauer and said Otmar's if basically if he doesn't perform, then he's going to be out. Otmar has been there what he came in midway through last year. So that car for this year was well on its way to being developed. And, yes, he would start to see some of the changes he has made in that organisation play out on track. Not so much at the start of this season, but heading into the mid-season break and the upgrades that they're bringing. That's how long it takes to bring these things into fruition. So from from that standpoint, I think whatever his name is, he's an idiot. He (laughs) He shouldn't be calling that out. But from a manufacturer standpoint, I kind of understand where he's coming from because Renault, not so much their own cars other than the Fernando Alonso 05, 06 World Championships. The Renault has always produced a powertrain, which has got them wins. I mean, the the powertrain with Red Bull in 2010 to 2013, arguably the best powertrain on the grid. Um, so they've got a history of results, particularly in the last 20, 25 years. So... I can understand it from a management point of view. Mm. In saying that, I don't like I don't like the way that this stuff has to play out of media. Yeah, it says to me that there's conversations going behind closed doors. So the CEO's like, "All right, I know how we can handle this. We can go out in the media and throw a few grenades and see what sort of reaction we get. We don't really have the full story or the picture of what's going on. These guys are all under pressure to perform. Oh yeah." And it's probably more so than the drivers. Yeah. You know, they're they're the ones managing all of the staff and all of the technical regulations and all of the design concepts, all of the wind tunnels, every little tent they can eke out of this car and does, yes, it performs on a computer, does it perform in real life, all those things. These guys have probably more pressure designing the car because when it gets on track, it's found out really quickly and the drivers clearly have a role to play but they don't take the brunt of those design philosophies when they fail. So I think it's very rich for Lauren Rossi, I think that's his name, uh, for him to come out and chastise in the way that he has. Firstly, terrible management style. That is not how you, you manage people or get results, firstly. Secondly, for a good period of time there, Alpine didn't have a team principal. There was like four different people apparently running all kinds of stuff in all different directions. Clearly that doesn't work. Yeah. And Omar was brought in out of then Aston Martin to start steering the ship again. But also when you've made strategy decisions long-term like locking in Esteban Ocon for as long as they they have, how can you possibly look at that decision, which wasn't Otmar's, and go, 
Yep. No, that's uh, that was a good call. That was a really great call. I mean, even Pierre Gasly hasn't been outstanding in this machine. I mean, he's still getting to grips with it. Sure, how long do we give them seven races <laughs> if we use the Seb yeah. Vettel line? Yeah. Um, but the whole thing, to be honest, is a bit of a joke. And I said this to Freya um, on one of her episodes ahead of Miami. My interest in this outfit is is almost zero now. Yeah. Because there's no interesting people there anymore. It's like a self-licking ice cream. Otmar's dealing with having to bash his head against probably many different brick walls in the and it's Renault owned, which is state owned in in part. So there'd be so many things. Shareholders. Yeah, oh, it just would be stuff. an absolute nightmare. But but anyway, I think it's very interesting to see. Of course, they'll be having to bring upgrades, but. Historically, they have, as you say, managed to get results. Danny Rick getting podiums, even in more recent times. Fernando Alonso getting that third, I think, in Qatar. Um, you think yeah. about the results that Kimmy's had that and win. Grosjean, and well, there you go. You know, yeah. there, there's a lot to there's a lot to look back at and say there should be should be doing more. Um, I think these designs, these car designs, with the ground the ground effect cars that came in at the start of last year. I think it's thrown a lot of teams off balance mm. because for so many years we've had the same concept in F1 and it's get the air over the top of the car, push down on it to create the downforce. These ones are completely different. They still have that element, but they're channeling all as much as much air through a tunnel on the floor of the car which produces the downforce. And I think it's thrown a lot of people off because really, in reality – there's not a lot of people that have ever designed cars to do that sort of thing, um, except for um, the Red Bull, Adrian Ewing. He did his thesis on ground, <laughs> ground effect cars. So they have a massive head start. Too. Mm. So it's very obvious. Yeah. Let's talk about Mercedes. Uh, they are bringing upgrades, the touted upgrades to Imola, yep. and uh, it consists of new bodywork, a new floor, and new suspension which is uh, significant really in terms of the amount of parts to bring along and test effectively on a Friday um, and a Saturday to make sure it works on a Sunday. But this is this has been touted for weeks now by Toto Wolf and by others in the media about this is the, the, the gap builder, I suppose, to, or bridge, I should say, to yeah. come back closer towards Red Bull and Aston Martin. Now, effectively... Red Bull, as you said at the beginning of the podcast, they are in a league of their own. I love that thought process of maybe they're not pushing as hard as they possibly could because they know that rules could change depending, and we've even seen it with bloody porpoising and the the ride height change, that kind of thing. Mercedes really is only aiming probably at Aston Martin. And Aston Martin are also bringing upgrades. And, of course, their base platform from race one was a lot faster than Mercedes. And we've seen that they're incredibly intelligent with how they design aerodynamically and and otherwise this car. It will be very interesting to see what kind of changes. They say bodywork changes. Does that mean side pods, for example? Probably not because there's a lot of investment that would have to go into that for for that to be worked out. But do you think this is this this silver bullet, the golden ticket to try and bridge this gap or is it just nonsense? Oh, I don't think it will be the golden ticket. No way. Red Bull are far superior in their – design and how the motor is integrated into that car than anybody else and it proves with their results on track for the last you know year and a bit so the thing for mercedes is what they have been open and honest about is that everything in their data suggests that the way they've designed their car 
should be better. So the problem they've got is that their computer-generated designs are not correlating to the on-track and the realities of putting the car in real life. Now, Mercedes will take the concept of the Red Bull and they'll probably carbon copy it just like every other team has done except for Ferrari this year. But if you look down the grid, most people have looked at the Red Bull car from last year and gone, right, this is the box that we need to do. I think if I'm if I'm hopeful for Mercedes, their knowledge of how the car failed way around their design philosophy and now taking the Red Bull and all the things that they'll learn from that this season and the next seven or eight races – I think, I think long term it probably looks better for for Mercedes because they've gone down the wrong path on a design philosophy that theoretically should be better, so that they know where not to go next time, and they know where their where their baseline should be in terms of on track and off track, you know, correlation of data. I think if Red Bull make a turn down the wrong path, they don't have the knowledge of where that wrong path is and where that leads down. So if I'm hopeful for Mercedes, then next year could be a very different looking car because they know the pitfalls of all the failures. Let's turn our attention to Aston Martin because it has been a significant joy to see Fernando Alonso incredibly happy. Did you like the fact that he was watching Lance put a turn into t- uh, move into turn one whilst he was also <laughs> driving? That's one of the greatest lines I think we've ever seen. Oh, what position's Lance in? He did a really good move. <laughs> what on earth? And he was just not like he was going in a straight line. The portion of the track, I think he was still doing a turn and he was still able to be watching the screen it's as crazy, that was going. I think it's just phenomenal. But I had this conversation um, on Perth Radio last week and uh, the question was put to me, do, what else can we talk about apart from Red Bull dominance? And I brought up the fact that Aston Martin – need to have a good hard look at themselves as a proper organization, specifically the board, not just Lawrence, and ask themselves, is Lance the right person to have alongside someone like Fernando Alonso when they're currently second in the Constructors' Championship for Formula One and Fernando is delivering and Lance is not delivering in the way that he should be. If you think about his qualifying performance in Miami, wasn't good. Same with his actual race performance. He didn't get moves made where Fernando would have done. Oh, you're totally right. Look, I'm always, I've always been critical of where Stroll's place in this sport should be, if it should be anywhere. Um, I think the gap this year has been probably the biggest, or has been the biggest of his career. Um, I think he missed out on testing. I mean, Miami qualifying, they tried to do the, the same tyre strategy where they went out on a set of olds because it worked for Fernando. Didn't work for Lance for whatever reason. He might look. I don't know. So I think take Miami qualifying out of it. Take the the first race of the season out because he'd only just jumped in the car. Um, no, he's not the right person to have the second best. He's not the right person to be in that seat when the second when you've got the second best car on the grid results was. So um, that's it's as straight up as I can get. In saying that, his dad owns the team. (laughs) His dad has invested enormous amounts of money to get his son there. And I just cannot see them going anywhere else. Mm. Why? Why would you make the change now? And, mate, I've got a dad who backs me 10,000%, gives me opportunities that 
I shouldn't probably have and all that stuff because he's my dad. So I get it. And if I was a dad like that, I would block out all the bullshit about my son from the trash on the internet that talks about him because the reality is is he's got to F1 and he's performed well and he can do it. So if I'm his dad, I'd be backing him to the hilt too. So it's a tough one. Do I like it as a hardcore fan? No, but hey, we have. he's going to be in this sport for a long time. He'll be there until 33, 34, and at the end of his career, right place, right time, he'll get some good results. He'll get wins. He'll get podium at some stage again because he's already done it earlier. And at 33, 34, we're going to be looking at him as a genuine journeyman. And at some stage, he'll be an elder statesman of the sport where he's a good mentor and he's good for young kids to come through. So that's just the reality for Lance Stroll. And it's probably the reason why Fernando is so relaxed about it because he hasn't had a competitive teammate. In Sorry, he doesn't have a competitive teammate in Lance and yeah. he knows that. And yeah. so coaching him through and, you know, congratulating him and being all those kind of things, I think he's is a way of this different version of Fernando Alonso that we haven't seen before yep. because of that reason. And he's got a car that he actually do some stuff with. I want to talk about Danny Rick, talking about Stroll, because yeah. um, there was a Stroll wedding over the weekend. Um, and Scotty James. Scotty James and uh, Lance Stroll's sister, now married. But Danny Rick was in um, the Afatari garage, yep. uh, the home base, I should say, to, to get a seat fit. Now, there has been... Bloody speculation out the hilt about the fact that Nick DeVries will be replaced mid-season by Daniel Ricciardo because DeVries hasn't performed. Now, I want to... I want to get your thoughts on this because I don't think that's a thing that's necessarily the right move for Danny Rick going to a car that is as poor as the Alpha Tauri, even if it does set him up for a Red Bull potential hey, look, for next year. Sonoda. Sorry, yeah, go. No, I was just going to say because... You look at Sonoda and we know how good he is and he is extracting significant pace compared to DeVries, but he has had longer. And in the same argument that we've had with Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo and that McLaren, the yeah. same argument should apply then to Yuki Sonoda in this Alpha Tauri. It's still not where it should be in comparison to the previous generation of cars. And remember, that Toro Rosso, Alex Albon getting promoted into Red Bull because that car was so easy to drive for him and the Red Bull was, you know what I'm trying to say? Like it doesn't feel like it's enough. And also I don't feel like Nick has had the right opportunity yet to actually settle into the car, but he's 28. He's older rookie, Verticomas, because of him going away from, from this version of single seater racing and coming back again. So is it right to be judging? Is it right to replace a driver anymore halfway through (sighs) the season? Look, It's a brutal sport at the end of the day. And these guys, they're not making, sorry, you're not making decisions based on based on just your on track performance. They they've got all the data, all the information in the world about where the car should be, where they can get more performance, and what he's actually doing for them. And the reality is, if they're having these conversations, it's not the public hasn't brought it up. It's come internally out of Alpha Tauri. So I would suggest that he's probably gone, but he's got a few races to prove himself and get on the massive improve. Um, It's a shame for him. You've got to make – this sport is ruthless. Yesteryear, he would have been cut four races in. See you later, catch up. No care for his mentals. None of that. Just cut – you didn't cut it. See you later. 
done. Career over in Formula One. We are in a generation now where people have been given second and third chances. Look at like your De- Brendan Hartley's, your Kvyat's, your uh, Albon's, um, Pierre Gasly. I mean, these guys within that Red Bull organization given heaps of chances. So they wouldn't be talking about this, and they're happy to make those tough decisions when they need to. As for Danny Rick going into the car, or if he does go into the car, it'll tell us that, yes, he actually does have that grit between his teeth and he does want to be in F1. I think he's played it very cool in the media this year, and I understand he wants to be in a top car. But if he wants to be in this sport, he'll take that drive and he'll outperform Yuki and he'll get podiums and he'll set the grid alight with all the talking points that he's done in yesteryear. The car, we know how it's set up, we know how it drives, it's very similar to what he wants and blah, 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 all that stuff. I'm not sure Alpha Terry are ready to make that move at the moment, but it would be good. I think it would be a good decision from Red Bull as an organisation to put Danny Rick in the car for the rest of the year and then transfer him up to the top spot, if that's the way it goes. Mm-hmm. So, um, But Yuki, he has performed under the radar very well this year. He's come 10th, 10th, 11th, 11th, 10th, or whatever it is for the first five or six races. Yeah. So, I mean, you cannot fault that for a car that's probably, what, the seventh best car on the grid? If you were to put them in a pecking order, they're behind. Who's behind them? You've probably got McLaren behind them and Haas. Oh, I'd say Haas is in front. Honestly, we're looking at the performances well, of Hulkenberg. It's totally. strategy sometimes. But I, yeah, I'd probably say eights or sevens or eights. So, Alfa Romeo, maybe Williams. So those McLaren. net positions, if everyone finished, should be the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th spots, right? And the fact that he's getting those 10th and 11th, look, I. I don't think he's as good as what we all like. I don't think I'm not painting him to be the greatest driver of all time, but I think if someone like Danny Rick steps into that car, it's a very different story. Certainly make Michael Italiano's life very easy to coach both of them if they were in the same team. (laughs) Anyway, I'm not sure it'll happen. No, Marco came out and said there's no way Danny Rick's going to that team. So, and I, yeah, it just, I mean, there's a lot of conversation around it. It makes sense. DR is the third driver for Red Bull, it's a Red Bull team. So to have a seat fit when he's at the factory, if it were close to the factory because of a wedding, just makes sense. So, but we do love F1 Twitter. (laughs) Many thanks to Quadlock for sponsoring this episode. Thomas J. Camp, I like. You haven't put your mag ring in the back of your phone no, yet, but yet. but you have got a quad lock case on your phone. How has the experience been in the last couple of days for Oh, it? cracking, eh? Hey? Absolutely. I love this product. I've used it before previously on other phones and bikes and stuff. Absolutely excellent. I'm all about it. There is so many accessories too. So there's like a mag wallet that you can stick on the back of your phone, yep. which is exceptionally strong. You can't really pull it off. It's got um, the RFID protection too. Yeah. <laughs> which is the same that's built into your beanie. Um, <laughs> just in case. You never know with 5G. Uh, but also um, battery chargers. The, the whole the whole thing, like it is genuinely phenomenal. And it, we do love these guys a lot. So if you want to protect your phone, but also just enjoy holding your phone, because I know the last case you had was terrible 
is an absolutely different experience for you now having having this on your phone. It even looks incredibly good from where I'm sitting. So to support yourself, the show, uh, and your phone, go to the show notes and click through the link. Um, you'll be able to get free shipping, I think, if you, if you buy something over $69 here in Australia. Um, the, the quality of the product is good. The turnaround time is fantastic too. And you won't, like, you just genuinely won't be disappointed. I know some of you on our Discord server as well are talking about how you already have Quadlock and you love it. So make sure you go to the show notes and click through the link. Go have a look first, at least, of all of the stuff that is, uh, is available through the Quadlock website. And of course, a massive thank you to them for sponsoring this episode. Now, Campy, we're going into a triple header. Yeah. We're starting here yeah. in Imola. And we are then going to Monaco, uh, which inevitably Charles Leclerc will put into the wall in Q3. And then we're going to Barcelona, which will be incredibly interesting. We didn't have Barcelona last year. Did Barcelona we? has. Barcelona. Uh, I wonder what it's going to be like with this because they've also removed that last chicane odd thing now and Barcelona is just a it's a nice, easy, almost like Austrian turn into the main straight rather right. than – so they've deleted that odd chicane thing, if you can Sorry, remember. I'm getting my trucks confused here. I was thinking about one, Japan 130R with that one. but no, I'm <laughs> When do you Barcelona. not think about 130R? <laughs> just no, it's, in my, it's in my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Barcelona. Yeah, I, I don't actually mind that. That's the MotoGP line. Yes, that goes it straight. Is. Yep. Instead of taking your right, you mm. extend it. Yep. Mm. I think oh, it would be great for us, but it'll make turn one really good. It will. And some interesting passing opportunities, of course. There'll be some hometown heroes there in Fernando Alonso, pardon me, and for Carlos Sainz wanting to get some action there. But talking yep. about Carlos Sainz wanting some action, Ferrari more generally are going to want some action because they have just had. The worst. I know we love to laugh at Ferrari, and I've caught that from you, to be honest. I think um, it's a shame, though, because it would be really great for one of these drivers to have some good luck, it feels like. But let's talk about Ferrari in respect to the three races coming up. All right. Leclerc was shit in Miami. Shit. As bad as it got. I think that's the worst drive I've seen him drive in a long time. I think that's a reflection of the car. But in relation to the next one, they're good in the low speed, you know. They've got the downforce thing. They've taken the characteristics of the uh, the Red Bull of the you know 2010 to two years ago model. Really good in the low speed, generates lots of downforce. So I think they'll be good in Monaco. He might even put it on pole, and that's might be the race that we see uh, might see them win. Imola's tight too, so you would suggest that maybe that's their track. I don't think they've got the pace one lap to get it on pole and be up there. I don't think they've got the pace over a race distance to get the job done, particularly against Max Verstappen and a Red Bull. So, look, qualifying will be good. Spain, geez, that's the track that the drivers know better than anyone else. So um, it's the greatest testing track of all time, right? It's got all the characteristics. So they'll be good in sector three. But they won't be so good in sector one and two. I would expect Ferrari to be on the podium in Barcelona, probably in Monaco. This weekend is probably the hardest to pick, I'm not too sure about. So, yeah, I don't think, in saying that, I don't think Aston Martin's going to be good at Monaco. Interesting. Yeah. Because I would pick Fernando's best chance at having a victory this year in Monaco. Well, 
I'm just going off the tracks that Aston's done well at this year, mm. which is all of them except for Baku. Mm. Um, and I, that wasn't because there wasn't pace in the car. Um, they've all been, they've all had really long straights. I don't think the Aston generates downforce like mm. it wants to. So the tight sweeping. Maybe Singapore then for Fernando. To, well, look, Fernando can do anything in a car, so I'm not writing him off. Mm. I think Red Bull are just too strong. Yeah. Well, uh, it's Ferrari. But Monaco's the race, right? Yeah. Monaco's the race. So it'll be interesting to see what Ferrari can bring, especially to a home Grand Prix, one of two really for them. Um, it will be important, I think, just to see, again, the pace difference to Mercedes if these upgrades do work for Merck, uh, for them to be able to come and actually push towards it. Because otherwise, they'll be fourth in the championship. Red Bull, Aston Martin, Mercedes, Ferrari. Goodness, we couldn't have picked that Aston Martin kind of vibe last year, could we? No, we wouldn't have picked it. But though the team that's taken the Red Bull design to its max and gone, yes, they bought in a new car after the first five races of last year and said, right, we're just bringing out the Aston Martin 2.0. It's going to be a carbon copy of the Red Bull. And they got more data than everybody else. So it doesn't surprise me where they are in hindsight looking back. Well, it is going to be exceptionally interesting in Imola this weekend. And uh, 10 points to you if you can, off the top of your head, say the full name of the race. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think we'll have some good fancy team names. Yes, I think we will. Uh, let's go to our Discord comment of the week. And this is actually a screenshot of an article. It comes from Failing Jester. And he found this outstanding example of Murdoch media journalism, journalism in the Biggest quotation marks I can possibly put. <laughs> this is from our friends, and I say friends exceptionally in the uh, incorrect way, from news.com.au. It's an article that cites as a source former world champion Damien Coulthard. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. Now, great comment. I sent that to Michael Avenato, who works for the same media. Are they going for Damon Hill or are they going for Damien? Well, Damon Hill, yes. Damon Hill, are they going for DC? No, well, he's not DC. He's not a cha- former world champion. No, he's is not. He? So it must be Tom but, <laughs> but also, Pretty sh- and I'm pretty sure it said Damien, not Damon, which um, is even better. Oh. In anyway, it just absolutely the oh, the um, disrespect are from. We're we getting trolled by news.com. <laughs> I also love in articles like this, and, and look, Michael Amanado works with Fox Sports as their writer. I sometimes I'll read his articles. The problem is then I get served other articles, and it'll yeah. be from articles like this, which are terrible journalism. There's never anyone put. To the to the article, it's always staff writers. So clearly, ChatGPT is writing shit like this because it is just dis- the disrespect. It's <laughs> is significant. Uh, well, look, that's it for this episode. Can be great to have you back. You. Um, I just can- want to remind everyone back on top in the. Uh, I just checked that. It's very. Come on. It is very Come annoying. Come on. I, uh, you're on 1,634 points. Uh, no, that's sorry. That's me. You're on 1,711 points. I'm not too far behind you. Um, but second is 1,702, uh, and then 1692, 1684, 1683. So in terms of your lead, I'm in the the top thousand of the world. No, you're not. Surely. (laughs) Something like that. Surely you're not. Oh, it's just annoying. I'm looking at this and the team is so solid. Uh, I can't remember. The team is so solid. I 
and I have the same team, but for whatever reason, um, I made that decision to try and do something different to you a couple of weeks ago and put Joe in, completely stuffed it for me, which is now why there is such a significant I've gap. I've used all my uh, all your chips. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, Except for the second team half. one. Coming for you in the second half. Uh, but if you want to join in on all the fun um, with the ability to win some coffee or some merchandise at the end of the year, you can find the link to the fantasy team in the show notes right now. Campy, what are your predictions for this weekend's worth of racing? I think Red. I think Max Verstappen makes Checo look second rate this weekend and he stamps his authority not on just the world championship but on this team and the direction it moves for next year. Um, I just Max has got that something between his teeth at the moment where he wants to destroy Checo. It's a bloodlust. It's a bit like MJ in the nineties. Just <laughs> give me the next one. Who do I destroy? And I like that in Max. Um, he's not as open about it as what mm. others are. So I think that's his goal this weekend. So Max will win. Uh, I'm going. Checo will have an issue, and something will happen, and. Fernando will get second, and I think we'll see one of the Ferraris. I'm going to go Carlos on P3. I think we'll have – I agree with you the first two. I think Lewis will end up in P3. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He uh, does like this track, actually. does like this track, but also he has the ability to extract the pace when he needs to, and I don't trust Ferrari's strategy. <laughs> I just <laughs> I just don't, uh, even if they get, get it right. But we know in the wet – Specifically, the incidents that have happened in the past. Think about George Russell and Valtteri Bottas between Williams and Mercedes, and and that kind of biff that can happen. Red flags, yellow flags, safety cars. That didn't exist in Miami, so we're now due for a couple. That's <laughs> Surely, what, that's what happens when you race semi trucks as a bloody. <laughs> that's how big these things are. Make uh... them small. Uh, but anyway, that's all to come. You can stay tuned uh, to Lakeside Drive for all of your F1 content. And, of course, uh, we will do a full race review next week. Uh, massive thank you to you for listening, for leaving a rating or review if you've done that. And if you've enjoyed it and you haven't yet, please consider doing that. It helps a heap. Thomas J. Camp, thank you, my man. Thank you, my man. We'll You're a star. very, very soon, listener, in the podcast feed. But I still want to play. I, st- I want to get at some point get together the Lakeside Drive band. You on bass, him on drums, TT show. on guitar. <laughs> you know. Mate, we could do all the stings. <laughs> we could play the theme, and I'll put I'll put lyrics over the theme. Welcome to Lakeside Drive. Sports Social Podcast Network.